0: The recent SPRINT trial assessed if treating hypertension through intensive management of systolic blood pressure to a target of less than 120 millimeters of mercury instead of the current recommendation of less than 140 millimeters of mercury led to improved outcomes. As the study progressed, it became evident that the lower target significantly reduced high blood pressure complications and lowered the risk of premature death. Because of this, the trial was terminated early. In November 2015, Nephrologist investigators from one of the 5 Sprint clinical center networks published an editorial in JASN highlighting evidence on the safety and efficacy of antihypertensive therapies in mild to moderate CKD. Now, expert interviewer Dr. George Backris discusses these findings with lead investigator Dr. Alfred Chung.
1: Good day. I'm Dr. George Backris, Professor of Medicine director of the Ash Comprehensive Hypertension Center at the University of Chicago Medicine. I'm a nephrologist, and it's my great pleasure today to interview and discuss in great detail the SPRINT trial with Dr. Alfred Chung, who's professor of medicine and division director of nephrology at the University of Utah. Al, how are you?
2: Very good. I am pleased to have this conversation with you.
1: Well, it's my pleasure as well. Uh, let's just dive right into this. You were the you point guy on the SPRINT trial. This was a landmark trial that has really changed the thought of where blood pressure should be, especially in older people. But one of the things that it really didn't quite come through on is change our mindset, at least I don't think it did, in non-diabetic kidney disease. And should we be lower than 140 over 90, we have other trials now like MBRD, ASK, the RAIN trial, all in non-diabetic kidney disease all failed to show a benefit below 130 over 80, and here we have Sprint showing the same thing. What are your thoughts about that? Do you agree with that, disagree with that, where
2: are we? Um, may I just clarify my role in Sprint? There are five clinical network in Sprint that coalesce about 100 sites. I am the PI of one of the networks but our network is more focused on the CKD because we have almost all of the sites are nephrology divisions around the country. Okay, as to the where do we think that Sprint is telling us in terms of non-diabetic CKD, less than 140 over 90, would you like to briefly discuss Sprint finding first, or should we kind of assume that most of the audience would be already familiar with the Sprint finding? What do you think?
1: Why don't you give us a broad brush overview of the cardiovascular endpoint and, okay. and the big surprise that heart failure really drove all the outcomes.
0: Uh,
1: uh, just give us a little bit of, a, of that, but let's really focus on the renal aspect of it.
2: Okay. So SPRINT is a large randomized trial targeting systolic blood pressure of the usual goal, which is less than 140 uh, compared to a more intense goal, less than 120. And in that trial, we targeted somewhat high risk of population, including the elderly, but very importantly, the CKD population. So CKD is not partitioned out specifically as a population that would be analyzed by itself. In other words, the finding of CKD, non-CKD, senior, -senior, non-senior will be all lumped together in analysis, and that's important to point out because the way the result should be interpreted is that it should apply for all included uh, subgroups, as long as there's no statistical interaction or no effect modification by uh, the presence of CKD. So the CKD subgroup has about 28% of the 9300 patients. Uh, that means about 2650 uh, or so of CKD people with a GFR 20 to 59, and so it is quite a sizable subgroup in terms of the overall cardiovascular outcome, which is the primary outcome of SPRINT, and it's not the, the primary outcome is not the renal outcome. The overall trial showed that the systolic blood pressure of less than 120 has a 25% decrease in cardiovascular outcome, which included non-fatal MI, acute coronary syndrome, heart failure, stroke, and cardiovascular death. And then also, in addition, there's a 27% decrease in all-cause mortality, which both of these findings are quite striking. As you pointed out, George, the heart failure seems to be driving it's a substantial decrease in heart failure and the low blood pressure group, and that drives a fair amount of the overall effect of the primary outcome. But the statisticians would caution us that is one of the outcomes and only one of the components of the primary outcome. And we should not hone in so much on heart failure per se, because by multiple comparisons, some of the outcomes within the primary composite outcome may be more significant than the others. But uh, it is indeed interesting that the heart failure effect of the low blood pressure is quite significant. So, George, can you repeat again what your first question specifically? So my my question
1: so my question was, uh, you are, uh, and you are correct to point out there are multiple centers, but I perceive you as a nephrology czar for this trial. And so I think it's, I want to hear from you that this trial failed to show a benefit. While it showed a great benefit on heart failure reduction, it did not show a benefit on slowed progression of kidney disease at ah. a lower level of blood pressure. So we have other trials that show the same thing. So are we done? I mean can we put to rest the concept that lower is not better necessarily in kidney disease or are we
2: missing something I see so if the question is specifically asking about kidney outcomes I would say that sprint does not provide that answer at present and the primary reason is that sprint's primary outcome is really cardiovascular and that's the power calculation statistical power calculation at the very beginning of the design of the trial, it was really geared towards cardiovascular outcome and not kidney outcome, as opposed to MDLD, ASC, and the RAIN trial. Those three were targeting renal outcome. And there was also a somewhat of a miscalculation of the event rate in SPRINT in that we thought there would be a higher event rate of kidney outcome, in other words, uh, more than 50% decline in GFR or ESRD. We thought the event rate would be higher than that. As it turns out, it was substantially lower than that. So the total number of events in the CKD subgroup is only several dozen. So I do not think that we can make any strong judgment as to whether SPRINT by itself shows no effect of blood pressure on kidney outcome.
1: Very good. Very good. I want to ask you a question. Would you mm-hmm. agree with this statement? While the SPRINT was not really powered for a renal outcome, given that presence of CKD is an independent cardiovascular risk factor. And given that most of the patients with advanced CKD and certainly dialysis patients are dying from heart failure, there's no question that for the CKD population, Sprint provides strong evidence for aggressive blood pressure control to
2: reduce
1: cardiovascular events in this subgroup of patients.
2: I uh, absolutely agree with that statement. I think from the cardiovascular standpoint even though the CKD subgroup per se did not show a statistical significant benefit. But as I said earlier, uh, we should look at the whole study cohort collectively, which includes CKD stage 3 and 4, at least down to GFR of 20. So for the cardiovascular outcome and all-cause mortality, I am very much in favor of lowering systolic blood pressure, at least below the current recommended goal. I just want to caution Perfect. a little bit about the cognitive function testing. His, uh, results are not available yet.
1: Right. Still ongoing. So since you talked about that,
2: the method that they used in the SPRINT trial to measure blood
1: pressure is different than what's used in the routine office visit. And so many physicians, I think, are worried that new guidelines are going to come out and they're going to say that blood pressure has to be less than 120, which is not going to be the case. And, in fact, we've already, enough up to date, changed it and corrected for the difference in blood pressure measurements and think that 125 to 130, in other words, defining a range of blood pressure is probably a far better way to go than to discuss a single number and you're either above or below it. So I, I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Would you agree with 125 over to 125 to 130 as a reasonable goal for the subset of patients or do you think it should be lower?
2: I think uh, cautiously, I would say that 125 to 130 seems very, very, reasonable. And the reason I would support the higher blood pressure goal for clinical practice compared to the lower blood pressure goal in sprint are twofold. Number one, you're absolutely right. In a trial setting, you have a much more rigid, standardized way of taking blood pressure. In sprint, the patients come into the research clinic, sit quietly for five minutes, no exciting thoughts, and then three blood pressure was taken by an automated machine. In the clinical setting, I doubt that would be usually the case. So most blood pressure taken in routine clinical practice would be somewhat higher. And then the second reason that I think that the clinical practice guidelines should be perhaps a little bit higher than systolic blood pressure of less than 120 is that the mean blood pressure in the lower go in sprint is about 121, and even though the median and mean may be slightly different, that also that still means that 50% of the participant and lower goal in SPRINT is above 120. So if we set the guideline for everybody has to be below 120, that is not exactly what the SPRINT is showing. So for those reasons, I think that uh, having a little bit higher target than 120 is uh, very reasonable. And of course, uh, it's very difficult for everybody to achieve the exact blood pressure goal. So, I think a range of 125 to 130 seems reasonable. Okay, perfect.
1: Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the therapeutic intervention. I must say that when I reviewed this trial for New England, it was amazing the quality of care that was given to these patients, lipid management and blood pressure management. And a very high percentage of these people, especially in the intensive group, were on chlorothaladone. In fact, as I recall, it was something like 97 or 98%. Now, that's not a diuretic that's commonly used either by nephrologists or general internists in practice. And we know there are major differences between chlorothalidone and hydrochlorothiazide in terms of not potency but duration of action. So what contribution, and I'm asking you to speculate now, to, and we also know that chlorothalidone, with 24-hour ambulatory monitoring in a study uh, that was published last year in the American Journal of Nephology that Rajiv Agarwal did, clearly shows a benefit in lowering blood pressure down to GFRs of 25. So it's highly effective, even in the range where I think a lot of people are using loop diuretics. So what impact do you think that had, if any, on A, the ability
2: to keep blood pressure controlled, and B, any potential outcome? So I gather from your question that we want to concentrate discussion on chlorethalatone as opposed to hydrochlorothiazide. Is that um, That's correct. Okay, all right. So Sprint chose Clothalidone as the formulary diuretic, especially for people who does not have advanced CKD. So I would just slightly clarify that I think more about 45% instead of 90% of the people in the Sprint were on Clothalidone. I think what you meant is that out of those who were taking thiazide diuretic, the overwhelming majority, over 90% was taking Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. So, and hydrochlorothiazide was not on the formulary. In SPRINT, we had to get special permission to use it. Um, that's why the use of it is much lower. I would say that I am very impressed by the experience of clothalidone in CKD in SPRINT and uh, your very insightful statement regarding the effectiveness of, of, of clothalidone in the advanced CKD in general. I would say that many of the nephrologists at least in my network, uh, before SPRINT, was really not used to using clothalidone. And since they were um, la- largely using clothalidone, they were really, really impressed by how effective clothalidone is as an antihypertensive and, of course, having the advantage of longer half-life, especially compared to furosemide, which many nephrologists are so used to uh, using. And uh I would say that by our experience in the Sprint, easily could be effective down to 25 of uh, EGFL and perhaps uh, 20. I probably would not want to vouch that much below that, although I don't really know, which is quite similar to the small series published by uh, Rajiv Echelwal in the American Journal of Nymphology last year. As to whether the inclusion of calzaladone could have cardiovascular protective benefit in SPRINT, that would be very, very difficult to ascertain because the lower blood pressure group basically use all blood classes of blood pressure medication more than the standard arm.
1: Okay, very good. Now, the other issue I want to bring up here, we've talked about SPRINT, this is all non-diabetic disease. Uh, of course, they excluded diabetics on purpose because, in fact, they already had a cord, so they didn't want to reproduce another trial in diabetes. But the cord left you with the message that maybe lower is not better in diabetes, which I think took a lot of people by surprise. But then there was a longer-term follow-up. There was a much closer examination in the Accord trial of the intensive glucose control group, which was primarily a glucose control trial and dramatically underpowered, really, to address the issue of uh, blood pressure goals relative to SPRINT. Now, one of the issues that has come up is in a paper by Karen Margolius, Diabetes Care, last year, and in the American Heart Association late-breaking trial of the Accordion, which is the long-term 8.9-year follow-up data of ACCORD, it turns out that there was a dramatic interaction amongst the intensive and standard glucose control groups, such that when you actually look at the blood pressures and the outcomes in that trial, in uh, the long-term outcome, if you look at the people that have standard glycemic control and intensive blood pressure control, there clearly was a benefit, not just on stroke, but on cardiovascular events. And while the overall trial did not still show a benefit, it was in large part due to the compounding of the, uh, or the interaction with the Intensive the Control Group. So one of the arguments that was made in the editorial by our friends at the George Institute that accompanied the England paper uh, sprint, and something that uh, I think is important, and we've actually acknowledged this enough to date, is there is equipoise, if you look at whether you're diabetic or not diabetic in people with a cardiovascular disease, that lower probably is better. And so I find it interesting, and I, I wanted your thoughts on this. Do you think that it does make sense in diabetes to have the same blood pressure as in a non-diabetic? And related to that, you have two organs that autoregulate, the brain and the kidney. The brain in every single study, for the most part, has shown a benefit so that you can say lower is better. The kidney, on the other hand, has not. So I wanted you to speculate. We don't know the answer to that, but I want you to speculate a little bit on that. So first, do you agree that diabetics and non-diabetics should have the same kind of goal of blood pressure in this 125 to 130 range? And even though the data is not hardcore, certainly suggestive. And then second, what are your thoughts about the differential effect between the kidney and the brain
2: on lower blood pressures and outcomes? Okay, that is a lot of very interesting information that you gave us in the last few minutes. So first of all, a court trial of diabetics exclusively looking at diabetes, and they exclude patients with significant kidney disease. I think the cutoff is serum creatinine at 1.5, I think. Um, yep. So the EGFR of the whole cohort is over 90 at baseline, mm-hmm. actually, right? And spin yep. on the other hand, exclude diabetic. So we never really have a trial really for diabetic CKD, um, at least not in these, by, by, in these two trials or any significant trial. Then let me talk about what should we do with blood pressure and diabetics in general. As soon as the SPRINT result became available within the SPRINT investigator community and outside, there was uh, so much debate about why the discrepancy in the uh, result. And I absolutely agree with you that, uh, number one, the sample size in the court is about half of uh, sprint in terms of at least the blood pressure trial part of a uh, court. And number two, as you indicated, the two-by-two factorial designs of the court, um, the simultaneous uh, glycemic randomization intervention really complicated the result interpretation such that right now we ended up with a effect modification of how glycemic control can affect what pressure effect on the cardiovascular outcome. So that makes it kind of more complicated. But importantly, I think that you pointed out Dr. Perkovic's editorial for the SPRINT trial in NEJM. He did a very fast combined analysis of a court and SPRINT result. And in fact, the figure that he showed in the editorial, very interesting figure, showed that when you look at the two trial in totality, systolic blood pressure less than 120 seems to have cardiovascular benefit in these two cohorts. And in particular, a cord help out the result in the stroke arena because a cord uh, has very substantial stroke benefit uh, with a lower blood pressure goal. And while the sprint help out in the heart failure and the composite cardiovascular outcome. So overall, I would say that I would be tempted to say that the cardiovascular benefit should at least extend to non-diabetic CKD, depends on how much of a purist you are, <laughs> but I, I think the totality of the results uh, points in that direction. I am also, at the same time, perhaps slightly more cautious in extrapolating to non-diabetic CKD just because neither one of those trials really, really have included diabetic CKD in the cohort. Is that bad in your assessment? in I
1: think think if you're talking about renal outcomes, yes, I think it is very fair. Mm
2: -hmm. I I think
1: the point that I wanted to make is that from a cardiovascular benefit, whether you have diabetes or whether you don't have diabetes, if you have hypertension, your risk for stroke is going to be lower if you get the blood pressure down to the 125 to 130 range. And it's certainly not going to hurt the kidneys. It may not help the kidneys, but it's certainly not going to hurt them. And, in fact, you're going to reduce the risk in the CKD population of cardiovascular events, which ultimately is what's going to kill them anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was the only point I was going to try to make from that. I see. Uh, and I do think, yeah, I mean, if you're one of the evidence-based uh, gurus here and you want to be a purist, uh, then you should be doing physics, and not this. But the reality is that I think if you took the totality of the evidence together from both these trials for a blood pressure of 125 to 130, I think you'd have to probably come up around 2A or 2B. So it's it's not ironclad, but it certainly is good enough, given that this is biology and not
2: physics, to
1: try to you know, make a point. That, that was my point.
2: So, George, um, let's talk about your second point of your question, which is brain and kidney outcome um, both of them uh, rely quite a bit on the, um, small vessel perfusion and also autoregulation. I think neither one of these trials really targeted the kidney, and Accord also did not target the uh, brain nearly as much as, as SPRINT does. So we are really looking forward for the brain result in SPRINT. But in terms of the kidney I'm afraid that at least at this juncture, we are not getting a lot of definitive answer on the kidney outcome in either the CKD or non-CKD subgroup uh, within SPRINT.
1: I agree. I, mm-hmm. I just wanted to you know speculate a little bit because I guess the point I was trying to make was if we have two organs that depend on auto regulation, uh-huh. the brain clearly is able to uh, reap more benefits than the kidney. And these trials do not provide evidence to help us answer that question. I, it's purely speculation, and I don't have a good answer for this, but I, I think it's an a question that's been asked by certainly some basic scientists, and I just thought I'd put it out there for discussion because
2: it's interesting. As much as I, I love the kidney and the kid, I think the kidney is the most important organ, but if you have strong cardiovascular protection and decrease in all-cause mortality in the lower blood pressure goal in SPRINT, and assuming that the brain function is not going to be the worst, hopefully we'll know about that uh, next year, it's difficult to argue not to lower the blood pressure for cardiovascular protection per se, right. So, but you know, agree. right. So, But I I think that uh, I would like to know what happens to long-term kidney function with the lower blood pressure goal. Uh, Let's say that over long-term, if the lower blood pressure indeed hurts the kidney, which I'm not implying is necessarily the case, I'm just saying uh, hypothetically, then the cardiovascular benefit of lower blood pressure as seen in SPRINT may not persist. So uh, the New England Journal paper on SPRINT right now tell us that in the CKD subgroup, the lower blood pressure has basically no effect on kidney outcomes, and the lower blood pressure goal seems to be associated with a worse kidney outcome in the non-CKD subgroup. I would caution that the non-CKD subgroup kidney outcome is uh, using the criteria of 30% GFR decline and not 50% GFR decline which is very, very sensitive for acute hemodynamic changes. So we really need to have the definitive kidney paper from SPRINT with the data up to this point and preferably with long-term kidney outcome data in the SPRINT cohort in order for us to feel comfortable with the effect of lower blood pressure on the kidney outcome.
1: So this is an excellent point because it's very clear that when they've randomized the different levels of blood pressure, you have the VA nephron D, you have the altitude trial, you have SPRINT, all showing increased risk of AKI at lower levels of blood pressure. And it's interesting because in the ASK trial, where we had comparable levels of blood pressure control, we didn't really see a dramatic increase in AKI. And of course, One of the things that's been linked to this is the people that are randomized to RAS blockers and have a lower pressure would be at greater risk. So let me ask you something. Was there in the kidney subgroup analysis in SPRINT the people that were randomized to the lower blood pressure goal, was the incidence of AKI higher amongst those taking an ACE or an ARB relative to those that weren't?
2: Ah, I think the brief answer to your question is that I do not know at this point, but it is worthwhile that, as you pointed out, there is a um, substantial increase in AKI events. So even that, all we know at this point is that according to the investigator's report, saying that the patient has been hospitalized or show up in the emergency department with uh, problems, And AKI or acute renal failure was marked as one of the three top diagnoses, and that is how we defined AKI-ARF as a serious adverse event in SPRINT as published right now. The detail of even how severe those events are are not clear. For example, I don't even know whether those people require acute dialysis or not. So I am not able to answer your question about whether RAS blockade complicated the lower blood pressure go in terms of precipitating AKI um, or how severe these AKI events are, or do they lead to long-term decline in kidney function? All those, I think, would be clarified in the next few months by more intense granular analysis of the existing SPRINT data, and we're looking forward for that those analyses.
1: Right. Perfect. Because I, I figured there's going to be at least three or four or five or six papers specifically addressing these issues in the coming months from Sprint related to the CKD group. So that's actually very important.
2: I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to add also one thing. I think AKI is very important. Kidney function in CKD is very important. And also cardiovascular disease, more granular analysis of in CKD is also important. But A very important paper actually would also be the kidney function in the non-CKD subgroup because here you have the New England Journal paper saying that there's a signal, even though it's a 30% decline in GFR, not 50% decline in GFR, a signal that the lower blood pressure group has 3.5 times increase in this kidney event in non-CKD subgroup. And that is going to be very applicable to the patients seen in general medicine clinic, not just in nephrologist clinic. So we need to Perfect. nail that down as well in addition to the CKD subgroup.
1: That's an excellent point, and you're right on the money. Now, let me kind of, as we
2: close here,
1: let me ask you, come back to something you said, and that is the notion about long-term follow-up. Um, is there going to be any long-term follow-up, or at least from a CKD standpoint of SPRINT? And if not, what would you want to see? Let's say you could write a check and get this done. I mean, what would you want to see from a kidney standpoint out of Sprint that would help clarify
2: things for you? Um, well, I'm glad that you mentioned that uh, writing the check, and um, obviously, um, <laughs> um, I'm, uh, hopefully, I can ask you to write the check. But the, uh, um, but in terms of what we need to learn more about is that. I would like to know in the longer term follow-up, does kidney function really have, is beneficial, neutral, or actually worsen with lower blood pressure? And both in the CKD and the non-CKD subgroup. Ideally, obviously, you would like to have sustained blood pressure separation, less than 140 compared to less than 120, and go on for a number of more years to see what is the effect of long-term blood pressure tight control on kidney outcome. Because after all, that's what the clinician would likely do, even though spin follow-up is only 3.26 years. But once you start somebody on the lower goal They're age 51. You may want to do that for the next 25, 30 years, right? But I think that there's an ethical problem right now because of the strong cardiovascular benefits, at least in these 3.2 six years associated with the lower blood pressure goal. So I think it is not ethical to continue intervention. But I would love to see an extended follow-up study just observing what happens when uh, these patients who were randomized to lower blood pressure arm versus high blood pressure um, for the 3.26 years mean. Um, and just what happened in the subsequent four to five years, even though we'd not be controlling the blood pressure any further, because we saw that kind of legacy effect, uh, for example, at ASC, Even you we no longer tightly control the blood pressure, and we saw that there was a long-term difference in the kidney outcome, albeit not cardiovascular outcome, in the lower blood pressure, uh, at least in the protein uric group. So, yes, I would appreciate a longer-term study just to even observe kidney function. And I want to also include our brain colleagues. It will be also very, very interesting, very interesting to also observe the cognitive function outcome with lower blood pressure over a long period of time.
1: Exactly. That's perfect. So I want to finish with some speculation. You know, usually when you have these new trials out, everybody's rushing now. The AHA, ACC guidelines are being updated. Of course, that is focused more on older people and changes that are going to be there. But if you were the chair of the KDGO, what – and I already spoke to the chair of the KDGO, so I already know what they're planning on doing. What would you want to see? Would you change the guidelines at all? If so, how would you change them?
2: Now, I'm curious. Are you saying that KDGO already know what pressure target they want to recommend? <laughs> are you allowed um, to tell me?
1: I'm telling, you, I'm telling you that it's going to be modified,
0: I see. Okay. Um,
1: and, and it's going to be driven by cardiovascular events, not uh-huh. renal events. Um, they're just talking about it now. I don't really know the details. I just know the feelings of the chair. Okay. And as you know, uh-huh. guidelines are not one person's opinion. So uh, <laughs> I, I really don't know what they're going to say. And they, I don't okay. even think they've talked yet. Okay. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think that given the strong cardiovascular benefit in a recently large trial, that includes stage 3 and stage 4 CKD, a large cardiovascular benefit and also all-cause mortality benefit, it would be difficult for me to imagine that the guideline would not tighten up in terms of blood pressure control in CKD by KDGO. This is just my personal opinion. Okay, but sure. how aggressive? How low do you want it to be? Should it be below 120 versus 125 to 130, as we discussed a little while ago, right? And exactly what population? In other words, should we include people with eGFR below 20? or for that matter, go all the way down to home blood pressure in dialysis patients. Uh, that is less certain to me, but right. I would say that I'm, my bet is that there will be some change in guideline. Is, is that, right. is, that your, your, is that a fair assumption? <laughs>
1: uh, I think it's a fair assumption. I don't think there's any question. The devil is in the details, but uh, uh. I think
2: we're on the same page.
1: Well, listen, Al, this has been great. I uh, very much want to appreciate your taking the time to talk with me and having this conversation. I, I think
2: our listeners are going to reap the benefits of this. I'm, I'm sure of that. Hey, I, I and I'm sure all the listeners benefit tremendously from your insight as well. Thank you very much. And with that, we wish you all a, a good day and a happy new year.
0: This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.